So here's God's word in Romans 10. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. This is uh, God's word. Romans 10, 14 through 21 is the passage we'll be in this morning as we continue our journey through uh, the book of Romans. And um, the title of the message today is The Problem with Good News. The Problem with Good News. You could imagine maybe if you've been waiting to hear from somebody on something. So say, for example, maybe you are waiting for a grand baby to be born. So you're sitting by your phone. Maybe if you're imagining this scenario, I imagine some of you have been in this scenario before. This uh, child of yours having a baby is in some far-flung location, and you are sitting staring at your cell phone. Right? You're waiting for that phone call saying, the baby is born, yay, let the party ensue. And as you're sitting there waiting for that phone call to come through, you're like, why isn't the phone call coming through? I mean, it should only take five minutes to deliver a baby, right? Let's be done with this thing. And so you're waiting, and you're waiting. And, and, and one of the problems is, what if your phone doesn't have, have coverage? And so as you're waiting for this phone call, you're picking it up. All the, no, okay, four bars. Okay, no, we're good. Okay. And you're picking it up and looking. And, and what if the phone call doesn't come through? What if the phone malfunctions? What if, what if they forget to call? What if in the excitement of the baby being born, they forget to call me? They must not love me. I mean, this is, here, this is where we go, right? What if, so this is one of the problems with good news. We're going to look at two of the problems of good news in the Bible this morning. And one of the problems with good news is for good news to be good, you have to actually hear it. You know, you, it may be that on the other end of this phone that's not ringing, there is a great party ensuing over a new baby, and everything has been great, and everything happened as it's supposed to happen, and there's lots of joy and happiness, but you don't get to have that good news because your phone didn't ring it. And so one of the problems with good news is you have to hear it in order to engage with it and to participate in it. So we're going to look at verses 14 through 17 to begin with. One of the problems with good news is you need to hear it. This reminded me of a story also that I had read about years ago. Maybe I've mentioned here before, but I, I think it's interesting. But there was a Japanese soldier at the end of World War II. His name was Hiro Onada. And he was dispatched to the Philippines towards the end of the war, and he worked in the uh, intelligence division, so he was going in sort of secretly into the Philippines, and he had some assignments he was done. He was basically given two orders. You are to never surrender, and you are not to take your own life. These are the two orders he was given from his superior officer. While he was in the jungles of the Philippines, the war ended. Japanese surrendered, treaty was signed, the Japanese forces left the Philippines, all except for... Mr. Onada and his two fellow soldiers, and they continued the fight because they hadn't been told. The war's over. Well, this continued to cause problems in the neighborhood of the Philippines where he was hiding out and continuing to engage in World War II. They began scattering leaflets around, advising the soldiers that were hiding in the jungle and coming down and killing their cattle. The war ended. Over the course of decades, 
Two of his fellow soldiers died or captured, I'm not sure. Finally, in 1974, I don't know when World War II ended, who was there? And that wasn't, that's not nice. 1974, they convinced his commanding officer to put his uniform back on, trudge into the Philippine jungle, and give him his official don't worry about it, man. The war's over. Certificate. Whatever it is. You know, he gave him his order. Listen, the Japanese have said we are ceasing all military operations in the Philippines. You can go home. And when he received those orders in when? 1974. I think the war ended when? 1971? No, I'm kidding. I mean, it's decades. He fought World War II for decades after the war had ended. Why? Because he never heard the good news. The war's over. And when he did hear it, he didn't receive it. He didn't believe it. All those messages and all the things that were sent into the jungle to convince him to come out of the jungle, he wouldn't believe it. So the problem with good news, first of all, is you need to hear it. Good news of any kind is only useful if it's heard. Good news of any kind is only useful if it's heard. And what we're going to learn here in Romans 10, 14 through 17 is God has made his good news known if we will hear it. So let's look at this. How then will they call on him who they have not, if they um, have not believed? So look at verse 13. That was from last week's message. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And now he, he asks us several rhetorical questions to help us think about that statement. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay, got it. How will they call if they haven't believed? Can you call on him if you don't believe in him? Well, no, of course not. That doesn't make any sense. Okay, well, that makes sense. Well, how are they going to believe in him if they've never heard of him? Could they believe in Jesus if they've never heard of Jesus? No, can't do that. I mean, that's not possible, is it? Well, how would they hear about it if somebody doesn't tell them about it? See how the questions are building? What, what needs to happen so someone will call on the name of the Lord? Well, they need to believe in him. Okay, well, if they're going to believe in him, they need to hear about him. Well, how would you hear about him? Well, somebody's got to tell him. Somebody's got to preach to him. And how are they going to have someone preach to them unless somebody sends somebody to preach to them? So it needs to happen for somebody to call on the name of the Lord. Somebody needs to send somebody to tell them about the Lord so that they can hear the message, believe in it, and say, I need to call on the name of the Lord. All of these things uh, need to happen. They need to hear what is preached from someone who is sent. Now, we need to be, understand something about this passage. If you've ever been to a mission conference of any kind... This passage has been preached, reminding us that if we don't go out and tell the good news to people, they won't hear and they need to hear in order to believe. And we ought to understand that message from this passage. Who has been sent to preach the good news? Anyone who has believed. Acts 1.8. You are to be my witnesses, first in Judea, then to Samaria, and then to all the parts of the earth. And the you there is all who have believed. So it is the assignment of all who have put their faith in Jesus Christ to understand they have been sent. Where have you been sent? Wherever you are. If you are somewhere, you have been sent there, and you have been sent there to give good news. So it's not that complicated, is it? But we have to understand that's not the primary message of this passage. I don't want to annoy you if you love missions conference. I love missions conferences. But what we have, the main purpose of this passage is not to tell people they are sent, although they are sent, and that would be us. It's to tell people they need to hear. Because look at verse 18 real quickly. We're going to cover it later. 
But I ask, have they not heard? So what he is saying is here, they need to hear the good news. And just so you know, they have heard, especially specifically the people of Israel in this particular context. But he's saying, no, listen, people have heard the issue is like that Japanese soldier in the Philippines who was holding a leaflet that said World War II was over. They've heard the good news, but they haven't heard it. They haven't received it. And, and so it really has more to do with the hearer. What is going in the heart of the hearer that when good news is proclaimed, they miss uh, the good news? So what people need in order to call on the name of the Lord is to have someone proclaim the good news to them and believe that good news. And he quotes from Isaiah 52, uh, 7. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. It makes me think of a story in 2 Samuel 18. Civil war had broken out in Israel. David and those who were loyal to him had fled Jerusalem. And David's son Absalom had taken over the throne of Israel. David's son Absalom now had headed out to where David and his men were to engage them with battle. The job was to eliminate King David so Absalom could finally take over the entirety of the kingdom. And the battle was enjoined. And David's men had great victory over the armies of Absalom, the other soldiers of Israel. And in fact, in the battle, Absalom was killed. You remember the story. Riding in his donkey, his hair got caught in a tree and the donkey walked out from under him. And then Joab killed him hanging in a tree from his hair. The trumpet was blown. The battle was over. David's men had had victory. And so Joab is going to dispatch somebody to go tell David the good news. The Lord has had a great victory. And a young man Ahimaz? Ahimaz? I don't never know how to say it. Ahimaz. A-H-I-M-A-Z. Ahimaz said, I want to take the good news to David. And Joab says to, to Ahimaz, um, actually, no, you shouldn't take the good news to David today. There will be no reward for today's good news. Why would there not be a reward for good news today? Because the king's son was dead. And he knew he might take it kind of rough. So he dispatched a foreigner, a Cushite. And he said, you take the news to David. So the Cushite takes off, running to take the good news to David. And Ahimaaz says to Joab, no, I, I want to take the news. And, and Joab's like, whatever, go ahead. You're never going to ca- catch up with the other guy anyway. Well, Ahimaaz knew a shortcut, the Bible tells us. So he runs off and he passes the Cushite and is on his way. And, and the guys in the city where David was was staying, looked and saw Ahimaaz running towards them. And they say, look, a courier, a courier is coming with news of the battle. And then one of the people said this to David, that's that's Ahimaaz. But certainly good news because he's a good guy. So what we discover in this little passage is a strange thing. When there's bad news, you send somebody you don't respect as much. And when it's good news, you send somebody of noble character because generally they get a reward. Generally, they get some kind of bounty or some kind of prize for bringing the good news. And this is what we have to understand about sharing the good news of the gospel. Is the, the good news is good news because the people carrying that good news have been affected and changed and transformed by the good news of the gospel. The good news is not merely a message, it is a message, but it is also carried by people who have been changed by the message of the gospel. 
Why in the world did God decide people would only hear the gospel message if we tell them? Why didn't he just simply write it in the clouds? Why doesn't he just simply send courier pigeons? Why doesn't doesn't God just simply show up as an angel of the Lord to each and every individual on planet Earth and tell them the good news? Could, Could God do any of these things? Of course he could. He has decided to communicate the good news of the message through people who have been transformed by the good news message. That's fundamentally an element of how he wants the message communicated. He wants good news kind of people to communicate a good news message. Many of us have struggle with sharing the good news of the gospel, don't we? It's just all of us, I might suggest, so I don't want you to feel like I'm, I'm just pointing you out. Although we all know the truth. No, I'm kidding. I'm not pointing you out. Why is it so hard to share the good news of the gospel? I'm going to suggest one reason that's going to annoy you, and I don't mean to be annoying, it's just the way I am. Because it's, it's not good news. I mean, certainly it's good news. We all want forgiveness, but we also have other issues in our life. So, yes, God, we, yeah, it's great. I've been forgiven. Thumbs up. But, you know, I got some bigger issues to deal with in my life. I mean, forgiveness is handled. Forgiveness, I mean, that's good. One of the reasons it's hard to share the gospel is it's average news. We don't, we don't enthusiastically share average news. You know, so think about this weekend. You know, on Friday I mowed my lawn. I didn't send out texts to all my friends. Hey, guess what? My mower started. Now, when it doesn't start, it's annoying, right? But you won't believe what happened. My mower started. I pulled it. It started right up. It was unbelievable. My friends would say, okay, um, I'm taking you out of my context. I don't need your texts about your mowers. Well, this is how we think of the gospel. Yeah, yeah, Jesus saves sinners. It's average news at best. Because good news, good news, we don't have to be told to tell people good news. In fact, sometimes we have to hold back. Well, I don't know if I should tell them that because it's going to seem braggy. If I told them I got a promotion at work, or if I told them I finally booked this trip my wife and I have always been wanting to take, or if I tell them my kid got good grades, it seems braggy. And like almost we have to restrain ourselves, don't we? Your kid gets really good grades, like, okay, I only tell three people. But, but the gospel, we don't have to restrain yourself. Do you find yourself out again? Oh, no. I'm that guy always sharing the gospel. Right? How often does that happen? But you're telling the barista your kid got straight A's. And the reason, and this is true for all of us, because the, the, the getting used to itness of the gospel, it's, it's, it's reduced somehow in our minds from good news to, to average news. And you, and you don't tell people stuff that's like average. And so that's what's, what's happening. We're sent to share the best news that could be possible. And, and one of the things that we need to think about in terms of a spiritual transformation in our hearts is not do we need a better script in sharing the gospel, not do we need another apologetics class to answer questions about how old the earth is, or not whether or not what are the ten verses I need to memorize. These might be all things that you want to do. I have no problem with them. But we don't share average news. What really needs to happen is our heart needs to be recaptured again with the notion, oh my lands, he saves sinners like us. Can you imagine that God saves sinners like us? 
And when our heart is captured with good news, we're like Ahimaaz. I want to go and tell him. And Job's like, no, no, knock it off. You don't get to go tell him. You'll, you'll do it another day. Wouldn't it be funny? Now I'm, I'm off script. Here we go. Get your emails ready. It would be better if we said, okay, this Saturday we're going to have a church-wide outreach event and we only have 10 spots. What are the chances are that I'm going to have to turn people away for that? What are the chances? There would be more chance I have to turn people away for a prayer meeting. Oh, now it's getting real up in here. <laughs> right? But, but what we see in Ahamaz is this. Is there's a church-wide uh, outreach event. We're going to go out and share the gospel with strangers. And we say, well, listen, we don't, have enough, we don't have enough of the materials for that. We don't have enough places for everybody to go. Well, that's what we see in Ahamaz. This news is so good, I want to tell David. I want to go tell, I want to go tell him. And, and then a church or a community said, well, let's do an outreach event. And, and we all say the same thing. I thought that's what we hired pastors for. I thought we contracted that out. What am I going to do? What if, what if they, what if they laugh at me? What if they reject me? What if they call the police and tell me to get off their property? Well, you know, these are all things that go through us. And the issue is not the fear because we're all afraid to, to share things. So the issue is not the intimidation, the insecurity. Those are all things. The fundamental challenge we face in our hearts, you and me both, is the news is just average. It's ho-hum. It's the, it's the air we breathe and at some point it became less than world-changing news. Ahimaaz understood what good news was, and when he ran to David, he wanted to tell him good news. We'll finish that story in a minute. Look at verse 17. Faith comes from hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. So he asks all these rhetorical questions. I know, I skipped verse 16. We'll get to it in a minute. He asks all these rhetorical questions. He really finishes the, th- the thought in verse 17. He goes, uh, uh, in, with, how, will, how will they hear without someone preaching? How will they preach unless they are assent? Verse 17 Faith comes through hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. So we believe what has been told us, and we believe when we have have heard. So we need to understand something a little about biblical faith. And we've mentioned this before, but we're going to mention here again because I want to remind us. Biblical faith doesn't create anything. Biblical faith is a recognition of what is true, whether I believe it or not. Okay, let me explain that again. Biblical faith is, does not create reality. Biblical faith is a recognition of what is truly real. So what the gospel says is this. God created the universe. Humankind's ruined it by rebelling against him. God seeks to reconcile everything through himself, through Jesus dying on the cross, and he gives us life through Jesus' resurrection. Faith says... This message, as communicated by God in the gospel, is a proper description of reality. Whether we believe it or not, it is what is. So my faith doesn't make Jesus a person who died on the cross. My faith is a recognition, Jesus died on the cross whether I believe it or not. And and I'm going to recognize that the gospel is an accurate depiction of reality, and so therefore... By placing faith in in the reality the gospel reveals, I experience salvation. Salvation is faith that that the gospel is accurate. Faith comes from hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. So salvation is faith in Christ alone, not via any kind of law code following uh, or seeking God through religion. It's through 
faith alone. Look at verse 16, if you don't mind. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So the gospel is proclaimed. This is the description of reality. God saves sinners through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ when we put our faith in him. But not all have obeyed the gospel. So now all of a sudden in this very idyllic description, uh, preachers go out, we are heralds of the gospel, people hear and they believe and it's amazing. Then we realize not everybody believes, do they? But it's really interesting what it says. Not all have obeyed the gospel. The good news is rejected. What we're describing here is disbelief. I love this description. Number one, it's the Bible, so it doesn't matter if I like it or not, right? But I love this. Why? Because we think God is insecure. That he's up in heaven, and he's like, oh, what if they don't believe? And he's wringing his hands. I won't have any friends. And he's worried, like, what if, what if they don't believe? And, and he's like us, like, we, we host a party and we send out invitations. What if they don't come? Or what if only the people come that we don't really want to be there, but the people who we do want to be there don't come? You, know, not, you would never do that. And, and we wring our hands and we worry, and what if they don't accept the message? And, and we assume that God in the proclamation of the gospel through his people is wringing his hands, like, Oh my goodness, what if they don't believe it? Or what if, these, what if these yahoos I'm sending say it wrong? But look what it says. They have not obeyed the gospel. Here's the thing. God is God of the universe. And that will, that will never change. God is God. He is king. He is Lord. And when he proclaims good news, he is doing it for our benefit for his glory. I'll say it this way, and this may be a little bit hard to hear or understand. God does not need us to believe. If none believed, God would not be lowered. There is nothing you can, I can do in belief or disbelief that can mar God. God is fully and completely who he is. He has always been and always will be. So the proper way of describing believe the gospel in who God is, is obedience. To obey God is to recognize what he says about reality and my need for Christ is true and ought to be believed. To disbelieve the gospel is, by definition, to disobey the God of the universe. And there's no better way to describe that. It reminds us again of the gospel is good news for us, but God will always be God. He is kind enough to extend to us this joy of knowing him through Jesus Christ, but we always must recognize who God is. He is God of the universe. And to be obedient to God, we believe Jesus. To disbelieve Jesus is to rebel against God by its very, by its very nature. The problem with good news is you need to hear it. And the challenge we're going to see now is many hear it and they don't believe. Why don't we hear it? Why don't we believe the gospel? Just a couple of quick things. Number one, we don't really believe we're sinners. We do believe we sin. Everybody, you ask anybody, do you, do you do bad things? Of course I do. I don't do anything bad enough that would require somebody to die for me, though. I mean, that seems a little out of line. I mean, certainly I've done bad things, but I'm not that bad. 
So that's a disbelieving in the nature of my sin. Uh, the other thing is we don't really believe that God needed to send somebody to redeem me. So maybe if I'm a sinner, well, the, the issue is if I'm going to know God, I need to either stop sinning or just do more good. So it's a misunderstanding of how we actually uh, relate to God. The final reason we don't want the good news is we don't want God. That was really the, the root issue of sin in the Garden of Eden is we liked the notion of being in charge of planet Earth. We didn't like the notion of having God being over us. And so we reject the idea of God being over us. So this is why people generally, including us, reject the good news of the gospel. All right, the problem with good news, you need to hear it. One quick example. I'm reading my example here, and I can't remember the point I was making, so I'm going to start with my example and hope I think of it by the time I get to the end of it. So we're rolling the dice here. So what if I came to you and said, um, good news. I got good news for you. I got free tickets to Florida. You can go to Disney World. I got free tickets to Florida. You fly to Florida, free tickets. You say, well, I mean, that's good news. I mean, unless you hate Florida or you hate Disney World. I don't know. But you got free tickets to Florida. And you go down there on vacation, do whatever you want. But I got free airplane tickets to Florida. You'd say, well, that's nice. What's the catch, you might say? No catch, you just get free tickets. Now, what if I came to you 200 years ago and told you I got free airplane tickets to Florida? What would you say? What's an airplane? Right? You'd say, I don't understand that. There's no such thing as an airplane. But maybe at that point, I don't know my history. Maybe there's no such thing as Florida. I can't remember. So the problem is, there's, but, but could airplanes exist 200 years ago? Yes, physics have always been physics. It's just at some point we decide, you know, you get something flying fast enough, you can get it up off the ground. Well, this is how one of the ways we approach the good news. That doesn't sound right. And just because we don't have a category for who Christ is and what he has done, we, we say, you know what, your good news is a pipe dream. Your good news isn't good news, it's a fairy tale. I can't figure out how to correlate the good news that Jesus saves sinners to a reality I know. But what faith says is this. I'll believe the gospel over and against my own experience of reality. All right. Let's uh, go to verses 18 through 21. The other problem with good news is you actually need to believe it's good. Go back to remember 2 Samuel 18. Ahimaaz shows up to David and he says, hey, guess what, David? Good news. We won. Battle's over. We won. And what was David's question to Ahamaz? What of Absalom? That was his first question. He said, uh, you know, it's a kind of a commotion. I'm not really sure what happened. That was a bit of a fib. Then the Cushite shows up. And David says, what, what news do you bear? He said, hey, good news. You won. Boom. What of Absalom? And the Cushite gives him good news. May all of your enemies be like that young man. And the Cushite wasn't being cavalier. He was simply providing good news to David. Man, I hope all of your enemies are like that young man. And how did David respond? Great morning. In fact, his morning was so significant, Joab had to come up to him in his room and at some certain point smack him upside the head and say, listen, if you keep grieving, your entire army is going to abandon you and it would have been better to lose to Absalom. He heard good news, but he decided it wasn't good news. So this is the second problem with good news, is you have to actually believe it's good news. Let's read verses 18 through 21 
to get our bearings on this. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. The voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Verse 19, but I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. God had been communicating the good news of uh, his work to redeem mankind to the people of Israel, and they have not received it because they were not receiving his good news as good news. We can imagine a modern example as well. Dad calls home, on, he's getting done with work, calls home and tells his wife, hey, tell the kids to get ready, we're going to go out to dinner, we've got great things to celebrate, I'll be home in a minute to tell you about it. So he drives home, everybody's excited, what's going on, we're going to go out to dinner, what are we celebrating? He says, I got a promotion, I'm going to make twice as much money, we're going to be able to buy a new car, go on a trip we haven't gone on, it's fantastic, let's celebrate. Oh, and by the way, it's in Kansas City. What do the kids think of that? Some of you have been in that boat before. All of a sudden, go, we don't care about your job. We don't care about how much money you have. We don't want to leave our school. We don't want to leave our friends. We don't want to leave our church. We don't want to leave our turtle. Kansas City, you can't have turtles. I don't know if you didn't know that. but So all of a sudden, so the, the, the dad is thinking, man, this is great news. The family's not hearing good news. Good news doesn't seem good when it runs counter to other things we already want. And this is where the gospel becomes problematic. Good news is not good news when that good news runs sideways to other things we already desire. We would rather have no God over us than have to be reconciled to God. That's the default condition of the human heart is we want no God over us. And God says, I've got good news, you can be forgiven. Does this mean we're going to have to have a God over us? Yes. That's not good news. So good news is never good news when it runs sideways or counter to things we already desire. So verse 18, we discover the conditions for faith as outlined in those rhetorical questions at the first couple of verses have been met. Have they not heard? He asked. Indeed, they have heard. The voice has gone out. He's quoting here from Psalm 19. They have heard. People have come and been sent, and they have proclaimed the good news. The, the message here is that the good news has gone out, and, and, and it has been heard around the world. But what we're discovering is, for some reason, it's not being received. The conditions, have preachers been sent? Yes. Have preachers proclaimed? Yes. Have people heard? Yes. But it's, but it's falling on deaf ears, it seems. And the question is, what is going on? Verse 19, he says, Israel, why didn't they understand? Moses said this, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. This is from Deuteronomy 32. I'm going to turn there. Deuteronomy 32, beginning in verse 15. It says this, Jeshurun grew fat. Well, that's rude. Jeshurun is a, a phrase that's often used in the Old Testament to describe the people of Israel. Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You grew fat stout and sleek. Now in our culture that is sort of insulting, but in the culture of that day to be well fed, to be wealthy enough that you could uh, be uh, fat, stout and sleek is a sign of great wealth and strength. 
So Israel, he's saying, has grown wealthy and well-settled and sleek. They forsook God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. Later on in verse 21, he picks up where we quote in Romans. They have made me jealous what is, with what is not God. They've provoked me to anger with their idols. Here's what we need to understand about Deuteronomy uh, 32. This is a, a message that Moses is writing to the people of Israel before they go into the promised land. And the warning that he is giving them here, along with Deuteronomy 8, is this. You're going to a land flowing with what? Do we need to cover that? It's milk and honey. I heard milk and honey. Yeah. What does that mean? This is good land. They are going to have lots of crops. They are going to have lots of grain. They are going to have lots of figs. They are going to have lots of wine. Their sheep are going to grow into giant herds. Their oxen are going to grow into giant herds. They are going to live in the wintertime in the southern part of Israel and in the summertime in the northern part of Israel where it's a little bit cooler. And they are going to have plenty to eat. And they are going to grow fat and sleek and have everything God has ever given them, and then at that moment, they were going to say, why in the world would we need God? We've got everything we have ever wanted. We ought to worship Baal. We ought to worship Molech. Because the worship services for Baal and Molech are more exciting than the old temple worship. First of all, you've got to trudge all the way to Jerusalem. Secondly, the priests are in charge of everything. You don't get to do anything you really want to do. We won't get into the details of that. And so why, don't, why do we need God? We have everything we could ever imagine. So Moses' song is a prophecy saying, when you get into the land God has promised you, you are going to have everything your heart has ever wanted, and you are going to disguise the problem in your life is God is getting in the way of everything now. And in that moment, you will rebel against God because now you have all of God's things. Why in the world would you need God? And the message of the gospel is, when we understand what is good, God is what we ought to want. And if he decides to give us grain and oxen and sheep and wine and a house in the south and a house in the north, that's up to him. But the good thing we have in that moment is God in the good land, not just the good land. And so the message gets missed because we decide there are other things we want. We don't want God. We want God's stuff. Look at verse 20 back in Romans chapter 10. Isaiah is so bold as to say this. I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. Good news is that uh, we have access to God. And this good news then is useless to those who are not seeking God. I'm just going to put the reference up on the screen, Ezekiel 3, 4 to 11. So you can write that down and read it later. We don't have time to read it this morning. But God comes to Ezekiel and says, listen, I want you to go to the people of Israel and tell them the good news. And then he said, by the way, they're going to reject you. I'm not sending you to a people who speak a foreign language or who worship other gods. I'm sending you to my people and they will reject you. And then he actually says this to Ezekiel, just to summarize it. Now, if I had sent you to a foreign people who didn't speak your language, and you gave them this message, guess what? Oh, they would all believe. But I'm not sending you to them. I'm sending you to the people of Israel. So here's the thing. Good news is only good news if we actually want to have a relationship with God. If there's a whole bunch of other things that we want, 
and we'll seek God to get those things, the gospel will never be good news. The gospel is good news if what we're seeking is God. When we proclaim the good news and they hear it and won't listen, the primary issue with the human heart is we don't really want God. Let's think of another foreign missionary, one of the most famous foreign missionaries in all of the world. His name was Jonah. God says, I want you to preach to the people of Nineveh because I don't want them to go to hell. And what did Jonah say? I want them to go to hell. And God said, go anyway. And Jonah, of course, you know the story. He said, no. He ended up going. If you're not sure what happens to that story, you can read. It's only four chapters. You could read it before the end of the service. He shows up and preaches this message. Repent or God's going to... Something like that. And what did all of the people of Nineveh do? They immediately repented. They put sackcloth on themselves... They put sackcloth on their cows. That's how much mourning they were. Nobody gets to eat. No animals get to eat. No animals get to drink. They're going to sit in sackcloth and ashes. And even the animals are supposed to have sackcloth on them. So good news proclaimed by really effective missionaries like Ezekiel is not heard by the people of Israel because they're not interested in actually knowing God. And yet the Ninevites wanted a relationship with God. Who knows why? Because the Holy Spirit would be my suggestion. And a really poor, non-caring missionary who wishes they would die and go to hell. Preaches good news to them and they respond in faith. Isn't that unbelievable? Because it's a heart issue. Good news. The gospel is good news to people who actually want to have a relationship with God. Look at verse 21 of Romans 10. But Israel says, all day long I've held out my hands. Of Israel, he says, all day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Those who love God, who ought to love God, have rejected good news. Disobedient and contrary, yet we would argue this, very religious. Here's the warning from this passage. Disobedience to God, the primary means by which we disobey God, is to disbelieve the good news that Jesus saves sinners like us. We like to think there's lots of other much worse sins out there. The primary sin of humankind is this. To disbelieve that Jesus saves sinners. One of the primary ways we as Christians function in this disobedience is to not really believe that this is good news. And we just think it's average news. Okay, three quick uh, sort of application points before we take communion, or maybe as a way of moving towards communion. What does faith do? I just want to remind us again about faith. Faith aligns our hearts with reality. Faith aligns our hearts with reality, what is true. Faith does not align reality with our hearts. That is what I call Disney faith. If you watch any animated Disney feature, this is the deal. If you believe hard enough, something will happen. That is not biblical faith. Biblical faith is aligning my heart with what actually did happen. Jesus died for sinners and rose from the dead. So biblical faith is aligning our heart with what is true. God is God, and faith is believing that to know him, we believe in Jesus only. That is what what faith is. It doesn't create the reality, it's a recognition of what is true. To know God, you must trust Jesus died for your sins. A friend told me this story, he got this really big bill, 
And so he started filling out sweepstakes forms. Have you ever done this? You get this big bill, and so now you're online on a local radio station do a sweepstakes, and the sweepstakes winnings is just about enough to cover this big bill he got. So, so he was telling me he fills out the sweepstakes form every day because you get one entry a day, right? Every day he's filling it out. That's fine. I'm not, I don't have a problem with that. But what's my point? I have no idea. We know what's good news for my friend. What's good news for my friend? That bill gets paid. Because that, that's, that's the idea here. If that bill could get paid, so I've predetermined what is good news. And, and we're not saying that wouldn't be good news, but what's the point I'm trying to make is this. When we predetermine what ought to be, what must be to be good news, and when God has the gall as God to not give us that thing, we've decided God isn't good news. That's what happens, is we decide in our heart, this is what ought to be. And, and sometimes, I don't know if you've known God very long, sometimes he doesn't give us what we have decided ought to be. If this were to happen, that would be good news. And God says, I have given you the goodest of news. Jesus saves sinners. And we can use David as a good example of that. He was given good news. His army had won a great victory, and he refused to hear it because his son died, because he had decided in advance, if Absalom didn't survive, this would be bad news. The gospel is good news, but it's hard to hear it as good news when we decide in advance, here's what must be. One last illustration before we take communion. Maybe you're sitting on an island resort. Imagine yourself this morning sitting on an island resort. You're sitting by the pool. It's warm out, right? Some of you might have plans for this later this uh, spring or summer for this, sitting by the pool. The waiter comes over and he's got on his silver tray the uh, fruity beverage with an umbrella on top. I'll leave it as vague as that. It's whatever beverage you would have. We're not judging. Hands you, here's your beverage, sir. He said, by the way, as soon as you finish your beverage, as soon as you're able, you're going to want to make your way off the resort to that rusty old ship out in the bay, and you're welcome for saving your life. And you're going, why would I leave poolside to go sit in a rusty old ship? Now, the townspeople at the foot of the volcano that's exploding, they are running for that ship like nobody's business. Because why would they want to stay in their ramshackle homes Number one, that's going to be full of lava. Secondly, the ship actually looks quite a bit nicer than the home I'm living in. You're sitting poolside and you go, actually, I think I have a little time. That lava is probably a good half hour away. Finish my beverage, maybe hit the buffet. Then we'll make our way out to the rusty old ship. Well, this is the reality that we have, that we face every single day. Is we say, I've got my life and then I've got the gospel, but, but my life is pretty good. Got everything I got to eat. I live in a house with central air conditioning. Have, have I mentioned lately how much I love central air? I mean, it's amazing that when it's 80 degrees outside, it's 72 in my house. Sometimes I'll lower it down just to show the, the world I can make it colder. And we, we live in these great comforts, and then we say, but you got salvation from your sin. We got, well, well, that's great, but you know, that's not really the best thing I got going. And that's Deuteronomy 8 all over again. We've grown sleek and comfortable, and the good news has just become average news. Good news. Jesus saves sinners like us, and we have the opportunity to hear it and believe it.